Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Leaders Alliance and our weekly podcast. John Bootsma stepping in once again for Michael Brodeur. And uh, it's my privilege today to be able to uh, have a discussion and an interview with a Garth Jessley. But just prior to that, I want everybody that's listening to know that Leaders Alliance is a ministry of Catch the Fire that had a incredible move of the spirit that started in the mid-90s in Toronto and really affected many people across the globe. And Leaders Alliance has come out of that and recognizing that as we collaborate with other kingdom-minded, both church leadership, business, marketplace, government, whatever your sphere of influence is, we just believe that there's some real key nuggets and principles and values that we want to be able to introduce uh, across the body of Christ because we have this great blessed hope that we're looking forward to, which is the return of the Lord Jesus. But he gave us this great commission that we were told to pay heed to, which is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name and really the revelation and teaching of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to obey all that he commanded us. And so that's a huge mandate that really does require all hands on deck across the spheres of ministry. And so in light of that, uh, today, we're just so grateful to be able to introduce Garth Jessley. Now, Garth has been a friend for probably a quarter of a century, uh, probably more even. And uh, Garth is is a fellow together with his wife, Mary, and his kids that I've gotten to know, and, and Garth and Mary particularly through Catch the Fire in Toronto. Garth is a financial uh, analyst, a chartered financial analyst, who's a strong family man. Uh, He's had many senior leadership roles and positions in investment management, venture capital, corporate banking, international project financing, private debt placement, investment banking, including being vice president uh, at Bank of Montreal in, uh, in Canada, as well as Citibank. Garth has also served Middlefield Group for probably around 25 or maybe more years in different roles, including that of CEO in the group's core investment management business. And then in 2012, in a perhaps a form of semi-retirement, Garth took the reins as executive director of Leader Impact Group for several years. And his mission there was to help marketplace leaders across Canada and even beyond uh, and globally explore the relevance of faith in God, both in their professional and personal lives. And that led Garth to writing his book, More Than Your Business Card, which is a wake-up call for leaders to follow Jesus in the marketplace and even to understand what does that mean. I, I personally enjoy reading Garth's blogs. It gets sent out usually every week or so. And uh, Garth continues to utilize the expertise, his passion for Christ, Uh, as uh, part of uh, different boards, corporate boards, including that of Teen Challenge in Canada, Catch the Fire in Toronto. He's also served as vice chair of Crossroads Christian Communications, also known as 100 Huntley Street in part across the world. So I want to welcome Garth onto our podcast. So Garth, it's so good to have you with us. You have been with us once before, but we're going to have a repeat. And so welcome. It's good to be with you, John, and with everyone. And, uh, you know, today what we want to do, even slightly furthering from the last time, which was a number of months back, but we just love to hear your heart as it pertains to things pertaining to the Great Commission, but perhaps more in some of that white collar marketplace business realm. And uh, just give us to start with a bit of a, of a recognition about who you are, some of the things that have happened in your journey that you feel would be relevant for our listeners today, Garth. Sure. Thanks, John. Yeah, so I came to faith in Jesus in my mid-30s, so I already had a significant amount of uh, business experience behind me. I was a person who defined myself in terms of goals that I set and achieving them. In my 20s, I set the goal of becoming a vice president of Citibank, which was actually something significant in those days. Um, It had to be approved by the board of directors in New York, and I achieved that goal, and in that moment, I, it just occurred to me, is this it? You know, is this my life? And so without getting into details, my wife, Mary, who's much brighter than I, had already had an encounter with Jesus and she'd witnessed to me about him 
and I was very happy for her. Um, I could see changes in her, but I didn't really see any direct relevance to me. But in any event, she invited me to church. She's done it several times, but this time she actually succeeded. It was in Montreal. I was running corporate banking for uh, Eastern Canada for Citibank. And uh, in the middle of the, the church service, I had an encounter with the person of Jesus. Uh, and specifically, I heard the words, um, I am alive. And um, I'd never read the Bible, uh, but uh, I'd heard a few verses and I knew this was Jesus speaking to me and being something of a logical person, I'm a mathematician by way of background. Um, logically, this meant that Jesus is God and by extension, yeah. he wants a relationship with me. So in an instant, I literally surrendered to him. Didn't pray the Prince Sinner's Prayer. As I said, I hadn't read the Bible, but I did. And uh, the next week we were off talking about literally going to third world countries to share Jesus because I couldn't see any relevance, uh, direct relevance anyhow, in between or connection, I should say, between my experience of Jesus, whom I knew, even though I hadn't explored the word of God yet, I couldn't see a direct connection between that and the corporate world. Um, however, uh, you know, through prayer and I believe the Holy Spirit guidance, I stayed in the corporate world. So fast forward to today, um, I wrote this book, More Than Your Business Card, and the sub and the target market is for uh, is is believers who are involved in positional leadership. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, in the marketplace, and so. It was written specifically targeting, though, and I defined the marketplace as primarily the private sector business realm, and I specifically excluded, for purposes of the book, a vocational ministry, quite specifically because I wasn't trying to talk about principles of leadership. I was talking, I was all caught up in uh, God's calling on people in business. And so the premise of the book is that Business is mm -hmm. a legitimate, important, and fulfilling calling for followers of Jesus. And so let me, I'll, 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 make, I'll make the argument which kind of underpins the whole book and the premise of the book. Um, so here's the argument. So premise number one is that believers cannot really experience fulfillment unless they're living out their calling. Very so good. That's premise number one. Premise number two is, and this is certainly based on my experience over decades, whether in entrepreneurial business, which I finished my career in, or, you know, the big corporate world where I spent a bunch of time, a lot less time than the entrepreneurial world. But in any event, premise two is that most believers in, uh, who are involved in business are not experiencing fulfillment in okay. their professional life. So the conclusion of those two premises, which are certainly based on my experience and conversations with hundreds, if not thousands of people over the years, the conclusion is that most believers in business or in the business domain do not see or they're not treating business as a, leg a legitimate and important calling. So that's a very sweeping conclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd be happy to chat with anybody who wants to argue that point, but that, that's a very important conclusion because remember what I said is that if we're not walking in our calling, we can't be experiencing fulfillment. I mean, we can have some days when we're feeling great. We can have some days when we have some achievement and all of those good things, but we can't experience fulfillment unless we're walking in our calling. And I know there's quite a number of pastors who are involved in this call. And so, you know, my, my um, cry to the pastors is to, or my encouragement is to, for them to encourage those who are involved in business who are the majority of their yes, congregations. Absolutely. In fact, in some congregations, it's probably 80 or 90% of the congregations are involved in business. 
They might be employees at an entry level. They might be more senior people. They could be senior executives. They could be owners. But most of your congregants are involved in business. And just think about this for a moment. If they're not experiencing fulfillment in their professional life, uh, my, my, my uh, claim is that they're not treating business as a calling because that, that lens totally changes how you look at your life when you're out in business. Yeah. It, it changes it entirely. So, you know, I've had people say to me um, who are genuine followers of Jesus. So these aren't cultural Christians. They're genuine followers of Jesus. I know from what mm-hmm. they've said and observing them, they are. And yes. they would say, if confronted with the direct question, um, is business a calling? as far as you're concerned, a very common response would go as follows. Well, you know, I'm gifted in this area. Good. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah. gives us gifts. So that's good. Nothing Absolutely. Wrong with that. Uh, and also, you know, I want to represent Jesus well to the various stakeholders in my business, to which I would say, well, good. We're ambassadors mm-hmm. of Jesus. So I'm glad yeah. to hear that you, uh, you <clears throat> agree with, the scriptural exhortation to be an ambassador. And finally, they might say something like, you know, I've done extremely well, you know, my corporate executive role, my entrepreneurial business, and it has enabled me to be very financially generous, to which I say, well, that's good, but God does own it all. So that's good. Um, And then I would follow that by saying, but none of those in and of themselves are a calling. That's very good. So that's they're not a call. They're not. They're not a calling. It, yeah. it, it, it's. I mean, they go with the territory. Yeah. All of those things should be true of our lives, and we should be prepared to say to somebody, "Will you forgive me?" Which I've had to do in business, which I've yeah. chosen to do after I became a believer in my mid thirties. But that's not a calling, and and so. Um, in the first interview I did with with Michael Brodeur on uh, this this show, um, I mentioned uh, to Michael that I'm a big fan of Oz Guinness, who's a Christian thought leader in the United States, and I spent yeah. quite a bit of time at the University of Oxford with Oz, and I had him speak for me at uh, a conference. And he wrote a book. He's written dozens of books, I think. But one of his yeah. early books was The Call, and. To me, it's a wonderful book, and he makes the point that every believer, so John and I on this call and all of you on this call, because we're all believers, have the identical primary calling, the same primary calling, which is to know God, to know his word, Mm -hmm. and to share the good news of Jesus. Full stop. Now, we all have secondary callings. And so the secondary calling uh, uh, might be, uh, I'm a businessman, Um, I'm a doctor, I'm I'm a whatever, I'm a teacher. Um, And I've kidded with, uh, I kidded with Steve Long one time, I'm sure you all know Steve, and one time I was telling him this and I said, and so I said, Steve, so, um, you know, my secondary calling is I'm a business person and your secondary calling is you're a pastor. How did Steve uh, respond to that? Steve, for those that don't know, Steve and his wife, Sandra, are, are senior leaders of Catch the Fire Toronto, which they took over from John and Carol Arnott, who founded it. But go ahead, Garth. Right. So so I did. No, he took it with a twinkle. He understood where I was coming from. And, and you know, I think it's a it's a very important point to remember, because when we recognize that, if we agree with what Oz says, and I think it's scriptural, then what that says is we are called to be witnesses in the marketplace. We have where we have the greatest um, influence, right? Absolutely. Um, Most people in the marketplace will never, particularly in this post-Christian world and Canada's post-Christian. I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say the U S is post-Christian, but, uh, but I do know there's a lot of cultural Christianity in the U S. So, but, 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 um, Many people will never darken the door of a church, right? That mm-hmm. they, so how are they going to hear the good news? Well, the people most 
in the best position to share the relevance of faith in their professional and personal lives are uh, their peers, are Absolutely. You know, people who are who are out in the business world. And if so, if somebody in the bit say I say, as CEO of a company, I say to somebody else, you know. And usually it's based on something they've said to me, by the way. I'm not big on, you know, as, as it were, handing out tracks. But somebody will say something, and I'm very, very sensitive to, and I'm very opportunistic. They'll say something, and it will almost invariably lead me into saying, well, as you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, because I always make people very aware very early on when they meet me that I'm a follower of Jesus. I never say I'm a Christian. Nobody knows what a Christian is, but follower of Jesus mm -hmm. uh, sounds provocative, and uh, and who can find fault with that? Um, yes, Christian Christians, uh, you know, are portrayed in the media and so on as well. Absolutely, yeah. Other than other than uh, perfect, so um, they will listen to me if I say, you know, I found in your situation, I experienced that, or I know somebody who's experienced that, and you know, as a person of faith. You know, here's how I approached it, and they will listen to that because it's it's made relevant to them. You know, it's mm -hmm. not they're often a box of the spiritual domain. So, in any event, John, long-winded way of saying simply that uh, that I'm passionate about um, engaging the body of Christ to get out there and do its job. You started up by citing, I guess it's the mission statement of Leaders Alliance. You know. Um, you know, uh, Matthew 28, right? To go into all the world and, and, uh, and, you know, make believers of people, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations. Um, we're, that, that is our mandate. And I might go further and say in my, in my book, even though it was targeting people in positional leadership, I think that we're all called to be leaders. You know, I think of John Maxwell, yeah. who always said, uh, you know, a leader is anybody of influence, right? That's right. So we're yeah. all people of influence. Every believer is someone of influence. And therefore, I think that my book actually is relevant to everybody in business, even if they're just starting in business, even if they're at a relatively modest level, right, in the hierarchy within their company, they're in business. And the question is, are they treating it as a calling? Because if they're not, they won't be thinking all the time of, you know, how can I make Jesus relevant right. to people? So there you no, that, go. That, that, there, there's a whole lot of excellent uh, fodder to chew on there, Garth. And there's several things that I'm thinking about. Um, sure. Number one, I believe we can find a lot of scriptural background and basis in that. Number one, the Hebrew word for work it's actually the same Hebrew word for worship, which is the Hebrew word avodah. And so that has to make you think and ponder. Next, uh, I remember years ago, I think it was probably one of the first times that I captured this revelation. I read a book by a gentleman by the name of Ed Silvoso called yeah. Anointed for Business. Yeah. And we recognize that the disciples of Jesus were primarily marketplace people. He didn't get priests. He got fishermen. He got... Right in a wide array of people that were involved in marketplace yep. or business uh, levels. And so, you know, he didn't go to the synagogues or the temples as his primary right. place. He went outside. But here's a question I want to have for you in light, because some, I believe, are probably challenged by the thought of being in business, in positional leadership means it's a calling. And what does that mean to my life? And I had a gentleman that we both know, I'll, I'll, he'll be nameless for the sake of this podcast, <laughs> who commented and said, well, I believe that the primary purpose of people that are in business is to make money. And therefore, he doesn't see his role or a role of a business person as primarily making disciples. Because ultimately, if we want to speak to obedience of Christ as part of the Great Commission of Matthew 28, yeah. be, you know, to obey everything I've commanded you. So how do you speak to that when, as sure. again, you, you you kind of alluded to it with first and second, your primary right. calling, your secondary calling. Right. But how would you answer to somebody that says, well, you know, well, I would, I would say, for, I, I would, first of all, <clears throat> be uh, very supportive. Like, you know, what I do like about what that person is saying is that he or she um, is, is recognized right, that the resources with which we've been entrusted 
uh, are not our own. We're simply stewards, right? We're not owners. And so I think there's much merit in what he or she is saying. And I would, I would build off that, that that is for sure. And everything that I said about calling, none of it contradicts that. Uh, you know, I've been blessed to have made quite a bit of money over the course of my, my business life, um, you know, in compensation, but also in the sale of uh, my interest in my company. Yeah. And, and so that enables me to be financially generous and God calls me to, you know, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and give where he, he leads. So that, that's all good. That being said, though, uh, I stick with what I said earlier, that we are all called uh, to share the good news of Jesus. And, and um, I, I realize that indirectly that person is, I mean, it depends on what particular good works uh he's supporting but the the reality is uh that that's good and indirectly it, it hopefully is having an impact and resulting in the sharing of you know the lord but we're all called to take ownership uh of that commandment i mean it is a very clear commandment and that particular person um given that uh it sounds like he or she makes lots of money that to me says they have lots of influence and yeah. and they therefore are actually uh, not taking advantage of the influence that they have to to share the good news to to uh, you know so I think that would be my answer uh, but I've run into that a lot uh, I remember one time I was speaking to somebody in California whom uh, to um, John Arnott put me in touch with, and it was somebody who was very well off, and um, and it was when I was executive director of Leader Impact, and I was explaining to this gentleman, uh, he I asked him to describe his business to me, and so he described it, and it was all wonderful, and I can't even remember what it was, doesn't matter, but whatever it was, he was making a ton of money and pouring it into all kinds of things, and they all sounded like they... They were meritorious, right? So yes, I, I mean, yes. we had a nice chat about that. Um, and then I remember we switched gears. I said, so let me just tell you what, because we did get related, because I'd run a business. I'd made a bunch of money. I've been involved in, in helping, you know, various and sundry uh, charitable, you know, endeavors around the world. So we, we got quite related. But then I said, so let me tell you what Leader Impact is all about. So he said, sure. And I said, well, we're all about, helping marketplace leaders explore the relevance of faith in God in their professional and personal lives. Put differently, we're out to reach not yet believers who are in the marketplace. Yeah. I almost saw his jaw drop. He could, he'd never heard this before. Like he was, he was almost, what's the expression? Gobsmacked. Yes, uh, he yes. just kind of went like, I, I almost had to say it again. I said, yeah, we're evangelists. I mean, our, our, our job is to reach. I mean, this is there's a eternal rewards here, right? I yes. mean, I mean, we can do lots of things that involve the physical world and we're called to do them. He created us. He gave us bodies, mind and spirit. And, and we're called to operate in this domain. But the only thing that lasts ultimately is the spiritual. And, you know, there are people out there. Um, I, I love to quote. Penn Gillette, I don't know if uh, the people on this call would know Penn. He's my favorite. I think he's still an atheist, uh, Penn. <laughs> but I, I, I love the guy. And he has a very popular um, podcast, video podcast thing. And in an unguarded moment a few years ago, he said, and I this is almost verbatim, he'd been really struck by a business person who complimented him on his show in Las Vegas and then proceeded to give him a New Testament. And, you know, and he was quite taken aback by how presentable the guy was and how credible he was. And then all of a sudden he just went off and he said, you know, how much would you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's sobering. And I... To which I say, exactly. Yeah. 
And that's sometimes what I will say to not yet believers when I talk with them. And it, it just depends on the rhythm of the conversation. But, but that's one thing I would say, you know, why would you do this? Well, how much would I have to hate you to not tell you that everlasting life is possible um, when I know that it is? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're hitting you're hitting something huge, Garth. And let me ask you this, then in your um, experience over the decades, why, why do believers not engage it? Why do they not start telling people about faith in Christ? What are the actual okay. obstacles and blockages okay. that keep people from doing that? I think that's a great question, John. And that is part two of my book. So part one of the book is addresses the whole issue of businesses calling, but part two of my book addresses the question, okay, so the first part is, can I follow Jesus in the marketplace? Okay, so we tick that off. Yes, yeah. I can. Okay, yes. we're, we, we're past that. But now we're into why should I follow Jesus in the marketplace? And that goes beyond using our gifts, being good ambassadors, yeah. Yeah. donating to good works. It goes beyond that, right? It goes into mm -hmm. sharing the good news. So why should I do that? And so the answer to that question uh, is love. And so I, I have three chapters in that part, but the first chapter is the great why. And the great yeah. why is the great commandment, right? We love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the yeah. second is like unto it, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And so that's the great why. Yeah. But then the next chapter is the greatest why, right? And it gets into this whole issue of, okay, what is the most important thing I can do to love my neighbor? I mean, think about it for a moment, really. And I, by the way, I'm quite imperfect in this. I'm very bold. Uh, people often say to me, are you ever afraid? I, I say, I'm not, but I can be lazy. You know, so mm. I, can get, I can get on the plane after <laughs> meeting with lawyers all day. That's always very difficult. And, um, you know, not feel like talking to my neighbor, although I normally get over that because I realize I'm to open conversations. But, I mean, think about it. These people around us who don't know Jesus, I was just saying to Mary this morning, we were commenting on this. I mean, we don't need to get into the fires of hell, right? We don't need to go into, are there literally fires? I realize that the Bible talks about this and, mm -hmm. and there's lots of debate. But the one thing that is for certain is that we're all going to live through eternity. This is not the materialist view of the world. The lights don't go out permanently when our yeah. body ceases to exist. And every person is going to go on living through all of eternity. eternity. And think about this, all that is good, all that is wonderful, all that is love, you know, uh, freedom from anxiety, freedom from regret, all that is good yes. is with God. I mean, there's nothing, that it, but none of that is in what, let's call it hell. None yeah. of it. So that yeah. person sitting beside you, assuming that person doesn't know Jesus, has not surrendered to him is heading into an eternity where nothing there's nothing good you don't yeah. need to have fire just imagine an eternity it's the absence where you're of all separate things from love good. there is no love there is no love. god is love yeah you know and we attempt to imitate his love we're made in his image we're quite imperfect but he is love and yeah. there's no love outside of god so can you imagine dwelling in an eternity without any love. Mm. Yeah, we need but, to be shocked into awareness. I mean, and so and that's why I say, to me, the big why, the greatest why is, well, it's all love. It's all about, it's all about love. Do, and, and, you know, I remember one time I was involved in starting up a new leader impact group. And um, so one of the guys in the group, he'd been, uh, well, at the time he was vice president of a, a national organization. And um, he, uh, he, his neighbor, somebody who lived about a block away, was vice president manufacturing of quite a big company. And this guy really liked to get together with my friend. 
well, let's call him Don. And so he really liked to get together with him and they go walk their dogs and they talk all the time. So we're, he's wrestling with this. He says, he says, um, Garth, should I, should I invite, uh, let's call this guy, Jim. Should mm -hmm. I invite, should I invite Jim to our group? So I said, well, Don, do you mind if I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. I like J Jesus always asked questions with yes, answered questions with questions of his own. So I, I'm trying to imitate the best. So he said, sure. I said, so I simply said, do you love him? That's all I said. It's a good question. And he said, I take your point. So he invited him and the guy became a productive member of the group. He's not yet uh, made a commitment to follow Jesus, but he's been very touched by the group. But the, but the, that's why we do it, right? I mean, it's the great commandment. You know, we yeah, we love yeah. people as we love ourselves, and and what is what greater act of love? Yes, of course, we can help them in terms of you know helping them in a financial pickle. We can help them. There's new, numerous ways that we can help people, but can you think of a bigger way of helping them to, to show them that yeah. their life? has a purpose right that their life yeah. has a purpose and absolutely all vested in god in what he has for them. i mean how yeah. can we how can there be anything greater uh more more energizing than that yeah. i mean just the very thought of that yeah and you're really getting to the brass tacks to the very <laughs> foundation of why we do what we do and we demonstrate right. that place of love everywhere and i wanted to comment right. and then i want to ask you another question but even as sure. a marketplace leader for yourself or anybody else in that role yeah. you know we bring value to the marketplace also in what we bring so you talked about yeah i made a lot of money i did well allows me to be generous yes. but we don't get away from the fact that even as a calling the value you bring into the world is really a representation would you agree that the lord's prayer made it clear pray this way your kingdom come your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven so if we look at your piece of earth how do you do your work heartily as unto the Lord, referring to Paul's letter to the Colossians, mm -hmm. in such a way that in a spirit of excellence, as somebody that's called to ministry, you present value to your feather, fellow man. And in the place of relationship, as a calling, you actually also have opportunity through that connection and, and the rapport you build and, and imparting to somebody to be able to impart the place of the gospel. Yeah, no, I... I I think that's absolutely right. And you touched on a couple of things there, John, that I think are very important um, because many people feel uncomfortable with what I'm saying because my book is actually confrontational. Uh, well, it actually good. says a wake up call and it's actually intended to be a slap across the face. But, like <laughs> I, I've, 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 I've literally, I've often read books and there are questions at the end of chapters and you kind of, you know, I know the answer to this one. This one's supposed to be, you know, like the very first question it says, if anybody asks you why you are in business, would you tell them I'm in business because I'm called by Jesus to be in business? And don't yeah. don't give me you know, don't don't say yes because you know that's maybe the answer you should you know. So it's intended to slap people, but um, I think that um, you touched on the word excellence there, and I think it's really critically important. Okay, so you know I was CEO of a company. I reported to a board. I've, mm -hmm. you know, I have had bosses throughout my career when I was in the big institutions and all of that. And we have job descriptions, right? That we have, we have responsibilities and we're yeah. to carry those out with the highest standard of excellence. I mean, there's never been a higher standard of excellence than the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the epitome of excellence. We yes. cannot match his excellence, but he calls us to step up to excellence and that includes in our business life and so therefore we need to i mean we don't need to earn our salvation but we do need to earn the trust the uh, the confidence um of and and credibility with our peers and we do that first and foremost by being excellent in our job by being totally yeah. excellent like like you would never want anybody to say well that garth he's out there uh, He's always sharing about Jesus, but uh, his work is lousy. He's sloppy. Uh, yeah. You know, like, so, uh, like, I'm very big, even on the most minute details. You know, if a meeting yeah. starts, 
at uh, one o'clock, you're there at one o'clock or 12.58. I mean, you don't, you're never late. You, you, you can't be, or you better communicate with somebody and let them know. I mean, just in the little things, you know, when we, when we communicate back and forth by email, I'm a big believer and I'm not perfect in this, but I'm pretty meticulous about the way I write, uh, particularly nowadays that we've got AI trying to insert things that we never said in Correct. the first place. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but in any event, um, we need to have a, st where people say, wow, you know, th this person really is excellent. Um, and then, you know, we have to, within, within the constraints of our own personality, we have to figure out how we're going to go about it because we're all wired differently. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm wired a particular way. I'm pretty bold. Like I, I find it, uh, you know, a door opens, I just walk right through. Right. Yes. Like if somebody, a former partner one day came in, he was really in terrible, terrible pain. And he, of course he knew that I was a follower of Jesus because I told him I was a follower of Jesus. So he knew that. And I said, well, Tony, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, and I think a lot of people assume that, oh, you'll go off and pray for him. No, I just laid hands on right, him right there. Right then and there. And the very next day, this is in a corporate setting on the 58th floor at First Canadian Place in Toronto. The very next day he came in and said, you know, I feel really good. I feel that that, that pain is gone. Um, so we, we need to operate within the constraints of our own uh, personality. Uh, but we just need to be so aware that opportunities will be presented we don't have to make them up people will just make them up for us they will show up they will show up i was sitting on a plane i was going out to the west coast for a meeting and i ended up sitting beside a guy who had been actually the number two at suncor one of the biggest companies in canada and he was going out for a board meeting uh, he's on the board of Tech Corporation. Well, I'd done a lot of business with Tech Corporation, and the guy who became CEO, I dealt with as CFO, and we'd done some hundreds of millions of dollars in project financing. So instantly, I can relate to this guy, and we're talking back and forth about people we know. But very quickly, I mean, he just said something. I can't remember for the life of me what he said, but whatever he said, I always use the law of permission. I said, well, you know, that's really interesting that you raise that. I think we were talking about maybe meaning in life. I said, would you mind if I shared a little about my personal story? That's called the law of permission, by the way. Okay. And he said, sure. So I just told him my story. <laughs> so we got into a really deep conversation about the meaning of life and the meaning of it, which continued for months afterwards. I don't know where it'll ultimately land the plane, but he was communicating with me from India he was Indian background and uh, his wife was Catholic and, you know, he was into, you know, I, I said, well, God made humankind in his image. And he said, well, that I don't agree with at all. Right? You know, okay. so, so which is fine, which is fine. So, but, but the point is I had credibility with him because he recognized me in sort of a peer type of thing. So, okay, let's, let's engage on this. So I think we just all need to be aware that we're, Life is full of opportunity, and it's not just in the business place. So if I'm going out to the, I was out heading out west, I was on a speaking tour a few weeks ago, and I carry these little life and message of Jesus with me. So anybody who'll fog a mirror gets it, right? So the limo driver, you know, we started talking about that. Turned out this time, the, the guy says, oh, I am a follower of Jesus. I said, fantastic. I said, take this and look at the back, because you can order them, and they're free of charge. In, in quantities of 120 so get something get going so <laughs> that's great but, yeah no that's great well i'm sensitive to our time garth because uh we're gonna wrap up fairly soon but you know i think we would be amiss to not ask you some of the things that that you feel like you can impart to us from that place of a standard of excellence a spirit of excellence if you would but as your experience as a c ceo cfo the leadership capacity what are some sure. of the things that you learned or that you exercised as protocol in your own life that you feel that our listeners would benefit by? Sure. Um, and I had a little prep because John and I talked about this the other day and I've thought about it a little bit further. Um, one of the things I would like to uh, convey to everybody is what, uh, what I call the, the um, how shall I put it? It's the problem solving hierarchy. Okay. And I'm going to apply this at 
first of all, just at the business level, the secular business level, although I can segue over and there is a spiritual parallel. But visualize with me, if you will, a triangle, okay? And at the apex of the triangle is the word goals. The next level down on that triangle is roles. And at the base of that triangle is procedures. Mm -hmm. In my experience, particularly more so in the large institutions, not so much in my entrepreneurial uh, business, um, I don't think you saw too much of this, but it is very common when one is confronted with some kind of problem to define the problem or the solution to the problem in terms of, well, maybe we need to amend our procedures. Right. You know, I can think of, I was in a major organization uh, at one point, a couple of them, and, uh, you know, they always had these, the manual policies and procedures. Well, let's go to, you know, policy 47.2 B double I, uh, <laughs> and let's change that. Um, however, however, mm -hmm. if we define the problem in those terms, it may be that there is no agreement on the various people who report to us as to their respective roles. And if there's no agreement as to their roles, what the boundaries of their roles are, what their, what their personal mission in the business is, their responsibilities are, it doesn't matter what you do with the procedures. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, Houston, you have a problem, but you're not through there yet. Uh, because even if you've got the, let's say you did some tweaking on the procedures and there is role clarity, maybe there doesn't even need to be any modification of roles, but there's role clarity. If you don't have your organization, you know, marching to the same drum, if they're not focused on, and there's not uh, agreement on the goals, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. You 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 have not solved your problem. So, th this to me is a real hierarchy. That goals come first, and goals, of course, are a product of our corporate or our ministry's uh, mission, its vision, its purpose. All of that gets articulated in specific goals. In the business I ran, they were often not always, but most of the goals were quantifiable goals. And uh, and I should add that. Um, I've always been very big in organizations, any organization, even not-for-profits, even Leader Impact, which is a, a Christ-centered ministry, uh, I introduced them to roles, and we negotiated roles with each of my team, uh, not, yeah, goals, excuse me, and because it was very, it was critical that not only do we have these overarching goals, so there's a bit of a tops-down element, but that is an aggregation of individual goals. So it's quite legitimate for the CEO, if you will, to give some sense of here's the corporate direction. This is where we'd like to, we'd like to add $500 million in assets this year. However, you know, on my team, how's that going to get distributed? So you've got to work and it might be that has to be modified a bit as you work through the team because you want every single member of your team to share his or her um, contribution to that goal. I mean, they have to do that. And, and it's actually critical, in my opinion, in performance reviews. Oftentimes, um, performance reviews. By the way, John, I know I'm frozen on my screen. Am I frozen on yours? No, I can hear you. You're coming through really well. Okay, keep, good. Keep That's going. Fine. That's fine. Um, but... Um, where was I on that? Performance review. Uh, yeah. So you're doing a performance review. I've been in larger, one large organization. Citibank was fantastic. I learned this whole thing at Citibank. I brought it over into entrepreneurial business. But uh, I was with another institution, and they were big on what I call sort of the um, kind of the, the, the job description type of review. <laughs> you know, so, which I always thought was a really stupid idea. But um, be, because... You know, 
everything's supposed to ultimately manifest in the goals. Now, along the way, how one achieves them, that's important. So let me, let's be clear how we achieve our goals is, is very important. But at the end of the day, the way to bring clarity is to, is to agree the goals and then do reviews against the goals. Um, it gets people focused and it keeps them focused on where we're going as an organization. So, so goals come first. And if we don't have agreement on the goals, it's all for naught really. But even if we finally got agreement on the goals, if we don't have agreement on the roles, um, there are problems there too. And uh, just talking with my former company, I'm still vice chair of my former company and advisor to the senior management team. And, and uh, they hired somebody and, uh, you know, it sounds like a really good guy, but already he's kind of chafing at the bit like, you know, he wants to be doing, uh, you know, he's got visions of doing more than he was hired to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. We want people to be hungry. We want them to aspire. But the point is he was hired for a particular role, demonstrate excellence in that role. So it's, you know, and then finally we do get to the procedures and uh, sometimes the solution is just at the procedures level. But in my experience, it's often at the goals and the roles level. Yeah. But now you've really hit on a great hierarchy of of foundations, what we build upon. Now you've addressed the whole area of hiring, Garth. So what then, as you consider goals, roles, and procedures, I mean, as the CEO, as as a leader in the marketplace and a corporate leader and CFO, I'm sure you've hired a lot of people. What are some of the things you've learned pertaining to the hiring process? Um, I've learned, John, that it is very imperfect. And I say that as somebody who, since my mid-30s as a follower of Jesus, has prayed over all the hires and everything else, but I've made my share of mistakes, uh, and it's very, very imperfect. Um, In my opinion, no matter how much due diligence you do, uh, no matter, uh, I used to always say to people, actually, this is more in the venture capital business. I ran one of those businesses, but after they'd give me their references, I used to always say, that's great. Thank you very much for those good references. Now, could you give me three bad references? And then when they saw I wasn't joking, uh, they gave me some bad references. I want to hear what people say. Don't worry, I'm an adult. I want to hear what they say, Um, you know, so I can, it's a mosaic and it's a very, it's very imperfect and it's very fuzzy. The biggest thing that I learned, and this is just my experience, but boy, did I learn this over quite a period of time, is that you, you know, the day after you hired somebody, whether you made a mistake. (laughs) <laughs> it's the most amazing thing. The, the hiring process is all done. You've done the due diligence. Your staff has done the due diligence, follow up everything. T- all the boxes are ticked. The person comes in and all of a sudden it's just not. And maybe, maybe the problem is yours. Maybe you didn't clarify expectations well enough, you know? And, and so yeah. that, that's one thing we need to be very good at is clarifying the expectations of the role into which we're bringing somebody and the upward potential and all of that, right? The, the golden rule, do unto others, you would have them do unto you. So we need to be clear on that. But um, as often as not, that wasn't, that wasn't the issue. <laughs> the person just was not a good hire. And so the corollary to that is that um, it's usually better to after after perhaps making sure that there is clarity on expectations okay because maybe there was an maybe there was a mistake made and maybe they didn't fully appreciate what the expectations are but i would give that a very because you've observed in one or two days (laughs) that it's not working i would expect they're going to sharpen up to those expectations within a week um, yeah. You know, it yeah. would it would manifest. This is not because oftentimes it's attitudinal, it's it's yeah. work style, what have you. It's better to terminate soon rather than and and but as as human beings, <laughs> with all of our weaknesses, there's a tendency not to want to admit the error. It 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 could be the worst first thing for the person is not to release them right away. Yeah. Um, to get them onto doing something that they're better suited for. Um, but we don't like to admit to making a mistake. We went through this process. So you go on and in six months time, 
you're terminating yeah. them anyhow. So I and and I've had the opposite happen as well. Like I've had I've had the exact opposite. Uh, two people I can think of specifically who came to work for me the day after I went, wow, this is a really good hire. And then the challenge became, how am I going to keep them challenged? And they did stay and they were very productive. Both went on to be multi-gazillionaires. And I'd be multi-gazillionaires, wow. okay. very wealthy uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, so, the, but the point is still the same. You, you know, kind of the day after, um, you know, so that would be my learning yeah. on that topic. Anyway. Well, that's brilliant. And so practical, regardless of what sphere of influence you're in. And I want to right. add to this that uh, Michael Brodeur, who usually hosts the show, has a great list of hiring questions and various things that, yeah. uh, you know, for our listeners to be able to access that. And those that are part of our Leaders Alliance have, have access to that. But Garth, as we begin the wrap up, I want, I'd love for you to address just a few things. Sure. Um, number one, uh, you, you come from the vein of a marketplace leader, but you've been very involved in the church, including on the board of the church, leadership in the church. So yeah. I would love to hear any counsel that you might have as to how the church and the marketplace could work together better to more effectively fulfill the Great Commission, even in light of the Great Commandment, both and. And then as we begin to provide closure, tell us a little bit more about your um, resources. You know, we've heard sure. a little bit about your book, but also your blog. And sure. then maybe if you could bless us and pray for those of us sure. as we bring closure. But talk yeah. to us about the church, that the marketplace. What, what kind of lessons? How can we more mature and develop, perhaps work together more? What can we learn from the marketplace okay. as the church? Right. Um, that's a great question. And that it's one for which I have a lot of passion. So, um, I mean, business leaders are people of great influence, right? Yeah. But oftentimes the church treats them as, how shall I put this? Uh, well, you know, the source of funding. <laughs> Or they can be uh, greeter, greeters or maybe even serve on the board, which is all fine. Uh, that's all good uh, stuff. But I think that the biggest role the church can pay, play, the organized church, the local church, is for the pastors to be constantly, constantly um, encouraged. But remember, Part of the job description of a pastor is to prepare, you know, the flock for works of ministry, yeah. not necessarily for being greeters or whatever. That's all good. And again, I'm not knocking that, but for works of ministry, I mean, they're supposed to be out there in the world. So I think that would be my big exhortation to the church leaders here is please, please um, build up those in business. Most of your flock are in business yeah. at various yeah. levels. And most of them, the truth of the matter is they're not feeling fulfilled in it. And the reason is that they're not seeing it as a calling. I heard one time, as I was just finishing this book, I was listening to some pastor somewhere in the world. It wasn't in Canada or the U.S. And he was giving this wonderful, it was a very good message, right? And he was saying, you know, uh, you know, some of you may be called to medicine and to this and to that. And it was wonderful. You know what one he didn't mention? Business. business. And 80% of the people out there are involved in business. Yeah. So it's very, very important to understand that your flock are not, I mean, they, they come in, they get a spiritual refreshment, they get an uplift. But the reason they're not feeling fulfilled is they're not being encouraged to think of their business as a calling mm. and so i think it, it's a question of of you know repeating that and repeating it on a regular basis getting people up regularly to share not just about healings which is wonderful we've yeah. received and been engaged in lots of healings over the years uh, including with john overseas uh, but yes, um great but uh but that um People might be called up to say, you know what, this week I'm all excited about this. I shared with so-and-so the good news of Jesus in the marketplace. We're really quite engaged right now, and they want to follow up calling it. That, that really encourages people if they're seeing that kind of witness. It's not just the, the supernatural healing power of God, but they're seeing 
people because the biggest miracle of all i believe is regeneration yes that is that is that is the miracle of miracles so mm-hmm. if you're if you're really promoting that and you know to me it's almost as much as saying you know let's get the business leaders up and on a regular basis for laying on of hands and anointing for ministry in the marketplace let 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 let's go out let let's uh, and it's not just to build up our local church. That's fine if you invite them and they do come to the local church, but it's reaching them with the good news. So I think that's the big thing, John, is just I don't hear that message um, coming a lot. I remember one pastor I talked to one time, uh, no one present. Uh, but, uh, you know, I said, you know, you you preach the greatest messages. I mean, I really, I, I really enjoy them. You know, I'm a student of the word and uh, they're all scriptural. They're fantastic. I said, but you're not doing your job. What? <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah. you're not doing you're not doing your job. I mean, your job is to to prepare the believers for works of ministry. And yes, I appreciate that the better they are grounded in the Word of God, but that's not enough. That's not enough. I mean, oftentimes people come in with so much excitement into the body of Christ, and then after five years in church, they've lost it all. They they think they've got to get a better handle on the book of Ezekiel or something like this. But but they're supposed to be out there doing the work of the ministry. And so I, I think the thing that sustains that excitement, which is at its almost its highest level when you get a new believer, is to just keep on encouraging them in that and keep on that message coming from the pulpit, not just in words, but people just getting up and saying, wow, I'm reaching people. My neighbors, I had them by for, for a dinner. And at last, they we really got into a deep conversation. And, you know, that to me, makes the the point. That would be my main exhortation. And so really what I'm hearing from you, Garth, is is it's it's really that triangle again. It's the goals. What's the goal of a pastor? What's the the fruit you're called to bear? Therefore, what's your role? And then what's the procedure to fulfill it? And we can often get caught up in the church as a silo, if I can say that, as opposed to something that's meant to infiltrate the community around us. And so it's a yeah, danger and, to watch for. Yeah. And I think too, John, is that, um, you know, I'll very gently put at the procedure level, another course in evangelism. I know lots of people who've taken courses in evangelism who've never led anybody to the Lord, never even opened their mouth, but they've taken the course. And why is that? Because they're not sufficiently fueled in the, as you say, the goal and, and their role as an ambassador, which is to show God's love to the world, that they are God's message of love to the world. I mean, I, it's when we're inflamed by the why yeah, that we do it. And oftentimes these courses, which are well-meaning and not bad, but in and of themselves don't do it. I mean, it, it's, it's making, I mean, give me somebody who's on fire for Jesus and not too articulate uh, over somebody who's... Uh, <laughs> who's memorized uh, the entire New Testament, but not on fire. And not a practitioner. And not a practitioner. And and, and so what I want to capture from this, just before I ask you to get into your, just some of the things you, your resources as we get to, but just a few quick thoughts on this. But I believe that as the church, perhaps we bought some unbiblical, ungodly um, lies, such as clergy-laity split. Perhaps we've thought that... You know, if you really want to be in love with Jesus, then you better be in the pastoral ministry or work in the right. church, which really is a first and second class Christian concept, right. which again is unbiblical. And so what I'm hearing from you as we wrap this part up is, is that no, we, we've got peers in the marketplace. We've got the same goal. We're really wanting to affect the same final outcome of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Yeah. We just have perhaps differing ways of doing it, but those ways meet. And so let's partner together between the church, yeah. the marketplace, to see a fulfillment of the mandate that the Holy Spirit a- has given us. So. Absolutely. And the, and the church plays a critical role in terms of encouraging, empowering, and, and all of that. Um, but, yeah, and in terms of tools, John, so my book, um, it's interesting because my publisher talked me into doing the book, which specifically targeted believers that was i resisted that in fact i wrote two books my first book was totally aimed at not yet believers but they persuaded and but it had a shout out to believers so they said you've got three books in here let's just do one for believers but um i found that this book and and this book is targeting those in positional leadership you'll see it's endorsed by about 15 primarily ceos of companies who are passionate jesus followers right 
but really the book is targeting anybody actually at all in the marketplace, which I'm going to define as not engaged in vocational ministry. So it's everybody except those engaged in vocational ministry uh, and particularly those in business um, to get them fired up to their calling, to excite them about life again. That they're, you know. And the other thing is I give it out a lot to not yet believers, okay? Um, for example, I was just out on the West Coast about six weeks ago at the 50 plus once because of COVID, we ended up having to do the 51st reunion of my MBA class, the anniversary, right? So we get together every five years. Probably 10% of the attendees there are followers of Jesus. And I know that over a number of years, so I know that, but most of them are not. But I gave a copy out to all of them. And, and I put in a particular challenge to try to figure, get them to read it. But you, you can read not yet believers by just some of the issues that have come up and you can point them like quite often I'll say to somebody, well, you know, uh, just on this point, one of the biggest obstacles that many people out there who are not people of faith uh, bump into in their thought process is the phenomenal and it's undeniable progress of modern science. I mean, yeah. It, it's incredible. It, it, yeah. it really is. It's got its problems. You know, uh, a coin has two sides. It's got its problems. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. if we look at the flourishing of humankind over the last century, much of it is driven by technology and private sector business, I might add, because it's all harvest, harnessed by business. That's part of the importance of business. But I said it might startle you to know uh, that, uh, and uh, this is based on, I've got it cited in the book, but well over 50% of Nobel laureates in science yeah. state their religious preference as Christianity. Wow. And that throws a lot of people off. Because if you had asked them for their hypothesis before providing that piece of data, they would have said, I assume they're atheist or agnostic or, you know, I mean, that really throws them off wow. and might cause them, for example, to think, well, maybe I should look at this. So if they just look at my introduction, which is my coming to faith uh, and that chapter, it might get them going, you know, remove some kind of log. So there's the third part of the book is uh, is uh, apologetic in nature and dealing with some of the typical issues. People say the Bible's not trustworthy or come on, Jesus couldn't have been raised from the dead. At best, that's metaphorical. And No, it's not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what would you do? If, as I, I quoted my, my um, former barber, who's a, a Muslim, I'll be a backslidden Muslim. Muslim, I think I knew more about Islam than he did. But in any event, <laughs> I said to Ali one day, I said, Ali, I said, uh, what if I persuaded you that Jesus was physically raised from the dead? What would you say? He said immediately, without hesitation, he said, I'd have to pay attention to Jesus. Wow. Which I say, correct. I mean, your logic is impeccable, <laughs> right? So, mm -hmm. so it, right. It, deals, it deals with a few things. So the, I, I would, the book can be used both those ways, to encourage you, to encourage the business people, to encourage people out in the marketplace, and to reach people who are not believers, but they might be influenced by the fact that a business person wrote it, not a pastor, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, and the second thing is I write a weekly blog and people are, maybe you could just disseminate my, my, um, I think they have to, I have, um, I have to get their permission to add them to some, my subscriber list, but you're quite welcome to, to give out my email address, which is ggestly at, at gmail.com. They write to me and say they want to subscribe to that. I'll add them to my weekly blog okay. list and so that would help them and they'll see there are dozens that are posted there on my website right and your website is www.garthjessley.com that is correct so they can also go there so that's brilliant i personally really appreciated your blog your book uh, and your friendship and just the wisdom and the the impartation that you've given throughout our times together knowing yourself and marrying garth so thank you for that the book is called more than a business card and uh and it's been a blessing so why don't you close us off with prayer sure. and just maybe bless our listeners not just sure. you know to listen not just to be hearers of the word but doers because that's yeah. ultimately we need to be both don't we yeah uh, very good 
Lord, we give you praise and thanks today. We thank you as we recognize that when every one of us were still far off, helpless, hopeless, unable to change our circumstances, unable to earn reconciliation with you, that you were the first mover, that while we were yet sinners, you moved. You were born in humble circumstances. You lived an absolutely, exquisitely perfect life, but you were born to die. You were born to die in our place. You were born to absorb the wrath of God for the punishment that was rightly due to us. So we cannot thank you too much for so great a salvation that each one of us can come boldly into your into your throne room, boldly before your throne of grace, knowing that we will not be cast out. And so, Lord, my prayer for everybody, myself included, is that we would all step into our calling to know you better and to better make you known, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, even when it seems dangerous to do so even when there might be consequences, but that to, to, for the joy set before us uh, to proclaim boldly the good news, to love other people by transferring to them the news of salvation, the news that they too can avoid a, a hopeless and helpless eternity removed from your love, removed from all that is good, So we just praise and thank you for instilling in each of us an even greater sense of purpose and vision and mission in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Garth Jesley. I received that myself as well. And we just want more. So thank you very much. God bless you. It's been a great interview, Garth. Thank you. Thanks, God bless everybody that's listening.